0: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Glam Reaper podcast. Today we are talking to a funeral director. So we're going to get inside knowledge as to what it is like to be a funeral director. He's been a long time in the game and he's going to give us some interesting insights into what it's like to be on the inside. He also has an incredible blog. We'll leave all the links below. But for now, let's listen to the interview.
1: I was licensed as a funeral director in 1980, worked at a funeral home, operated my own funeral home, sold that in 2013, almost 2014, and uh, have been retired basically since. And, And I started doing Funeral Director Daily about four years ago and just enjoyed it.
0: And Funeral Director Daily, Justin, I'm going to leave the link um, just for anybody who's listening, is a blog that I love. I tune into and get daily and I find it to be just a nice, refreshing summation of what's going on in the industry and, you know, because we're all busy and that's what blogs sort of really essentially became popular for is that people could get all this condensed information in one spot and... You know, it worked out. So, but Funeral Director Davey, do you know much about your readers? I was about to say your listeners, your readers. I mean, are we all of industry?
1: You're not all of industry. I try to keep it very inexpensive. You know, it started as a hobby just to be mentoring funeral directors. I had somebody who told me you could go do this. Uh, some funeral directors might be interested in hearing. And I did that for a while with about two dozen readers and uh, sent out an email every day. But but I saw every once in a while, I saw some growth from it. And about a little over a year into it, I had a company that Cressy Memorial, they, they do Earn Vaults, the Crown Earn Vault. They contacted me and said, we really like your stuff. We think it's really good for the industry just to know this and get your perspective. Would you be willing to have a sponsor and have us associated with you? And I had to think about it because taking a sponsor meant that it's no longer a hobby and it was a commitment but I also had things like MailChimp and security bills and GoDaddy and and different bills I had to pay that I thought you know if I had a sponsor or two they would help me pay those bills and so that's where I went with it it's growing by leaps and bounds as to if I know my readers I only know them I get a list every day of who opens the story and the number, but it's by email names. So, so many are simple, like if it says Joe at FCI. Well, you know Joe is with Service Corp International, or Fred at Jones Funeral Home. You can you can Google Jones Funeral Home and find out who that is. But but I, I think I have several types of readers. I have working funeral directors who are young learning the business. I have business owners. I have, and I know this from the emails, the addresses, I have virtually all the CEOs of the big public companies. I have people over across the pond who are CEOs of companies over there. I have mortuary college professors and things like that. And then there's a certain amount Uh, Well, the other one I have is I have a lot of financial people and the financial because I do write articles on the public companies once in a while. I do have some people that are stockbrokers and things like that. And then finally, I have like people from my church that just say, you know, they hear I do this. And they say, well, we read it just because we think it's interesting. And, you know, so that also... I have all those constituencies. Also, I will say I have suppliers in the death care industry, people that supply the cemetery industry or casket companies or things like that. That is why I try to keep my articles really, really varied. I, I know like like today's article was on the annual report for Dignity PLC in Great Britain. There's not a lot of young funeral directors that care about reading that, but there are the funeral business owners over here and the fci people and stuff so i know every day that i'm going to get a certain amount of readers depending on the topic
0: i well believe that and it's interesting especially when i knew we were going to be talking i was paying even more attention to what subjects that were coming up and whether i clicked or whether i wanted to click into them and you know what i thought about them in the moment and definitely there is certain parts and it just you've hit the nail on the head it just goes to show to the type of personalities and what we do for a living that uh, makes you click a certain thing like for me my three things I've always gone on about are pre-planning you know the digital space and what happens after we die and the environment and so anytime you have any of those I'm in when it's those financials and those you assessing them I'm like (laughs) no no because it just doesn't speak to my brain
1: I've also learned that when you get the email, I only get about 50 words to try to c- convey what it, the article is about. Now you talked about digital post life, but today if you get into the article, it's really about digital marketing and how, how Dignity PLC has, uh, there's a lot of statistics of what they've done with digital marketing and, and how they believe 50% of their consumers, I think it is now quoted in there, is coming from digital marketing
0: yeah well i'd well believe that i have to say because i'm often asked to consult with companies on their different marketing techniques and and sort of what's because social media is huge now and the funeral death industry can't ignore it just like no other industry can ignore it i mean i'm not to say when somebody passes away somebody jumps onto google finds the local funeral director but some people actually do do that you know then in terms of funeral directors themselves like marketing to them where are they? They're on Instagram, they're on Facebook, they're on LinkedIn. You know, so these are the places where it's still to meet people in that industry as much as it is anywhere else. You can't not have an online presence in this current day and age. You just can't if you're in business and want to succeed. But it is. It's amazing to watch how it has gone from um, strength to strength, uh, Tom. And I know I featured, so I, I'm a little biased in saying, you know, that it's pretty good. It does touch on a lot of different topics. And one of the things that I, I wanted to touch on, because you did it quite recently, is all these alternative deaths these alternative dispositions, sorry, death is the wrong word, dispositions after we die. So, you know, you've got Katrina's recomposed going from strength to strength from what it looks like in Seattle. And there's, she's actually got competitors now, which I never knew about. What is your thoughts on all of these alternatives?
1: You know, you know, it's interesting. And and I did an article, it was probably last week where I I think the title was, here comes this competition. And she's, you know, Katrina Spade has worked really hard to get her... Recomp- recomposition, recompose going, and all of a sudden there's a couple competitors, one really big and one kind of small. You know, it's not something that I would think about today, the human composting. You know, in 1970, which is 50 years ago, Americans only cremated 5% of the people. And You know, now we're up into the 60% bracket. So it just goes to show that some things will catch on. I think I also said in that article, though, that I really believe flame cremation will be the disposition of choice for probably the next couple decades. There are uh, things where they freeze dry a body and then break it into little particles and you end up having like cremains. And it's interesting that I talked to somebody in that type of industry and they were questioning on how fast these type of things will catch on. They think to so many people, it's almost a death fantasy. Well, when I go, I want to be human composted, or I want to have a green burial, or I want to be freeze dried. But when it really gets down to picking it, there's a very small percentage of those that say they're going to until it reaches a mainstream. Well, that, that's the issue where Recompose and some of those places have to be financed good enough to carry on with that for a while
0: yeah i agree with you and i think that it, it is it's all about the consumer feeling safe and the funeral directors having the knowledge in order to make their families feel safe because i think families are still going to continue to go to funeral homes even though there's this idea that maybe funeral directors will will get cut out of the, the game and stu- stuff like i know i think i've said it on this podcast before that i was asked uh, an nfda which is a huge annual funeral convention a couple of years ago and there was a lady from the new york times and i was chatting with her and i, I asked. I said, you know, what what was the general vibe on the floor when you were interviewing people? And she said funeral directors are terrified that event planners are going to take over their job and that they're just going to become a means of disposition. Now, as an event planner, I don't agree with that. I think that's crazy. I think people will always need to rely on funeral directors. But I do think funeral directors need to open their eyes and embrace new ideas that are coming up and, and there is all these millennials and all of these people who are coming up with these new innovative ways of disposition and ways to celebrate life and ways to mourn death we need to be paying attention to them because they're not coming up with it for nothing it's like when i'm you know people turned their noses up at facebook and amazon that'll never work and now look at it so you know as you say in the block we have to you don't have to run with every cool new idea, but you have to open your eyes, embrace it, and see how it could potentially work in your community.
1: I was going to say to that end, I just heard like 15, 15 years ago, people thought when it was brought up that Amazon might replace Sears as a number one retailer, people said that will never happen. That will never happen. And, and look at today, yeah.
0: And now look, at and it's, ter- it's actually terrible, I could not live without Amazon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's shocking
0: as a, as a single woman in New York City it's like those packages on my door thank god I don't have a car I don't need a man it's perfect <laughs> but I wanted to keep talking about that because one of the interesting points that I thought you made in that article was that flame cremation would be the go-to choice and I I agree with you I think burial unfortunately is we don't have space you know the world just in general is running out of space it doesn't matter what country you're living in asia hit it first you know now we're kind of coming up the the rear in america so i think it's just gonna not be feasible and so you've got cremation but cremation in itself there's obviously a lot of talk about it and and hence why all these new methods of disposition are coming up in itself the old cremation we all knew was dirty you know it, it creates a kind of an idea that there's the smoke and that we're physically going up into the ether you know parts of us do you think that in itself could be could be and will be sort of reinvented like for example you know we've got the retorts themselves have changed they've evolved over the last couple of years you know limiting the emissions that are going out into the environment and stuff like that so potentially there's a way to evolve that particular method as opposed to just creating something new i don't know what your thoughts on that would be
1: but well i i, I think all of that will help i think the limiting the emissions and everything but but i'm a i'm a pretty firm believer and i have a friend who has a alkaline hydrolysis machine if he would do it at the same price and say do you prefer cremation with water and chemicals or flame cremation he says they will all choose alkaline hydrolysis the vast majority but they do it as a as a premium, like well, we can cremate Dad in flame cremation for two thousand dollars. But if you want us to do a water cremation, it's like twenty seven hundred dollars. And it's he talks about the environmental issues and all that. And about a third of his choices still go with the alkaline hydrolysis. So so I think that, and you think about electric cars out there today, the Tesla and things like that. I'm fortunate in, in more ways than one I've got twenty six year old and twenty two year old sons and just watching how they listen to music or how they listen to music or watch television or make their decisions, I think these forms of disposition, especially alkaline hydrolysis, if it can be tied to an environmental positive situation will Grow rapidly. I think it's got more potential than the, the human composting simply because there's a the human composting, it takes a month and, and the alkaline hydrolysis is very much like cremation, you know, a matter of hours. So I, I think there is an element to environment, and I think funeral directors need to know that. If if I was operating a funeral home today, my next purchase would be an alkaline hydrolysis machine
0: really wow very good that's a very strong statement so yeah i mean honestly the parts of me love it because it does it's you know your final bath <laughs> there is sort of a nice spa-like yeah. feature to it i'm not gonna lie and i know from conversations with my parents back home in ireland like when i started on this journey journey 10 years ago one of the things i did was sit down and do a pre-plan with my mom And I got to find out lots of interesting things about her and her wishes. And it it is fascinating how what people's perceptions are. Like, I don't want to be buried because I don't want to be cold in the ground and the maggots to get me. Okay, but you know you're going to be dead, right? Uh, I don't want to be cremated because what if I'm burnt alive? So people have these... You know and so the alkaline hydrolysis definitely does sound like a sweeter way to go but then part of me has these and again because we're all human and we just have these ideas that we're still present somehow when we're we're being disposed of is that these we've seen all the horror movies of you know bodies being put into liquid and just frying basically in the liquid and that's how the murderer gets rid of his victim (laughs)
1: Into
0: the exactly. vat of um, Not giving anybody any ideas out there, by the way, <laughs> but it is, I do like the sound of it. I, I, I know that there's just, for me, there's a lot of different conflicting companies out there doing alkaline hydrolysis. And that's where I feel their marketing it sucks, not going to lie, just sucks because there's, there's so many different... Having something come out like cremation or like the composting, having the first person to market and then competitors, that's one thing. But alkaline hydrolysis came out with so many different names like water cremation alkaline hydrolysis bio cremation it it just it came out with too many that i think it confused the general public that they don't know which one is which and are they all the same only slightly different chemicals and one is a higher heat and one is lower one is longer one is shorter i mean i'm not gonna lie i hold my hand up even i'm confused at this point as to who's who and what's what and so i think that's a problem it's gonna face marketing wise in general to try and get it to the general public and for them to go oh yeah i want that because that's amazing but i do like look the environment we we owe it to the world as much as any other industry does to clean up our act and whether it's you know putting the veneers and coffins and it's definitely something that needs to evolve and i love that all these guys are coming up with new and interesting um Ways of disposing of bodies. And the way I look at it is well, if you can dispose of a human body with whatever technology you're using, can it be used on medical waste? Because that would be my next. You know, like you look at COVID 19 now, and I walk to the subway here in New York, and all I see are plastic gloves and masks littering the place and i just think to myself we've killed one problem and creating a whole other one i mean i can't imagine you know with all the plastics and stuff it's just insane medical waste now has must must be gone up tenfold which is amazing we're saving lives but when you think of how often people are using and disposing of masks and things anyway i'm digressing sorry (laughs) Tom. but passionate about the environment is is
1: definitely you know well I was just going to say with alkaline hydrolysis and water cremation, I, I think we we actually as funeral directors and the funeral industry, we're giving ourselves too much credit if we think the public's confused. Because I, quite frankly, don't think the public really knows about it yet. And I think once yeah. we get out yeah. there. No,
0: know, and there. you're probably right, quite right with that. Because there is, I remember from my days, and I I'm, don't know if you know much about it, but I worked with a company called Eco Legacy many years ago and they had um, developed an environmental version of cremation and one of the things I remember asking a funeral director you know do your families are they interested in something that would be an environmentally friendly option and he said no they just want cremation or burial and I countered and I said but do you say do you just want burial or cremation or do you say would you like a third more eco, you know environmentally friendly option and he was like no, I just offer them very lacrimation. I said, well, of course, if you offer somebody milk chocolate or white chocolate, they don't know about dark chocolate. So <laughs> they're only gonna go.
1: And, and I think, I think as, as we evolve into the future, even people that are not concerned about the environment will be a little bit concerned about their environmental choices, whether it's buying electric cars or gas cars or, or the, how they heat their homes. I, I think there there will be more and more of that. And I think it'll be more and more an issue on on uh, the death care industry.
0: One hundred percent. And even to your earlier point, um... Is it'll soon become the norm as well, Tom? Like you know, electric cars. I foresee will will just the others will become obsolete because we just have we just keep moving forward, and eventually the market just becomes so small that there's just you know you're almost a tyrant if you have a diesel car or general petrol unleaded petrol car, or whatever. So. Just while we're on topical items, I'm assuming you have read, uh, as most funeral directors have, Jessica Mitford's book, the wonderful book. And there is, there was a recent one, a rebuttal of it, uh, by Eric. I can't remember his last name. Have you read that
1: rebuttal or you have? I have not. And Jessica Mitford's book has been a long time, The American Way of Dead, yeah. She was not, a, when I was in mortuary school, that book was old. And we're 40 years from that. <laughs> What
0: are your thoughts just in general about what she sort of wrote about the industry?
1: I look at the the American way of death, and if there's anything about America, I mean I tell my wife this every day. Once the pandemic came on, what country in the world has started selling designer masks and masks that go with your dresses? You know? America is doing it, you know. They wore masks in in Asia for years, and it's, you know, just a medical type mask, but we've started a a little industry about it now. But I think you go, and and my family is no different. My great-grandfather arrived in Minnesota as a Swedish immigrant in 1872. And he was trained as a cabinet maker. So he started building coffins in the small community we're in when people died. And we have records of our first funeral, first casket sold, coffin sold, was five years before Custer's Last Stand. That puts in perspective. Custer's Last Stand was 1876. We have a record of selling a coffin in 1872. So he started out as a cabinet maker that built coffins. His son then went to the first class of morticians at the University of Minnesota, and. They operated a cabinet furniture store that when somebody died, they brought them there, embalmed them, actually they did that in some of the homes, and were able to show them. From there we evolved into in 1923, I think it was, we built a home for funerals, which was really new in America at the time that it moved out of somebody just buying a casket or coffin and bringing it to the church or their home and showing it, we built a home for funerals. And we've evolved into a crematory, a place that we can have receptions. We, over the years, we've evolved into all of that. And I don't think, and it's about that family making a living for themselves going forward. So yes, they ended up not making caskets; they bought them from Batesville or Aurora for five hundred dollars and sold them for a thousand. But we did get into this purveyor of death care, which Mitford talked about, that they're businessmen. Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with being a businessman. And the market, just like you talked about electric cars, if electric cars start selling, well, the people that make gas cars are gonna go downhill and electric ones go uphill. So I think the funeral industry, the death care industry, is a business, we're an evolving business, And if we don't evolve, we'll be dinosaurs. It's just like you talked about as a funeral planner. Maybe the licensed funeral directors take care of the bodies and do the work there, but there's somebody creative on staff to do, whether it's videos or say, here's how we can celebrate your loved one. You're hearing about some funeral homes having celebrants on staff. And so, I'm not against, I think Jessica Mitford was probably right. But I also say, what's wrong with being a a business person and running your business?
0: no i i absolutely agree it's it, she she really gave you guys a hard time i will say that it was it was it, it's a hard book to read because she just goes at it she's like a dog with a bone she just goes at it, and at it and at it and what is it she calls you the funeral men or the funeral guys or something funeral men i think and i do i think there is that sort of old school idea tom that is you were robbing from the the blind and the poor just to put you know, bury their, their families and stuff. And the, everybody in the industry is cowboys. And it's one of the things I know for in my last 10 years, and it's kind of part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast, was I've seen so much that as a lay person or a person on the street, I never knew about in the industry. Like when I say to people that I work in the funeral business, well, first of all, they think I'm absolutely mad. <laughs> and they kind of look at me like, mm, you don't look like you belong in the funeral industry. Because typically it was a certain type you know I tell people I go to conventions and that I could go to a convention every week for a year and there's that many funeral conventions over in the world and they're what and then I write for a funeral magazine what you have magazines I'm like it is an industry people it is an industry and exactly right people need to make a living and they do make a living
1: I've always said that you know and and you're in you talked about you're in Queens if I asked you about what do you think of the United States Congress you would say well they're a bunch of idiots And I'd say, what do you think of your congressman or congresswoman? they say, oh, he or she is not too bad. And thats I've compared that with funeral homes because people always say, what do you think of funeral directors? Oh, they're a bunch of crooks. They charge too much money. They do this. They do that. And they say, well, what about the funeral director that took care of your dad or mom? And they say, oh, he's a great guy. He's a wonderful guy. And so we're a little in that wavelength. We get thought of in a group. But then we also get thought of better as individuals.
0: It is true. And actually, to that point, what are your thoughts on people like, say, uh, Caitlin Doherty or, you know, there's a Little Miss Funeral and Modern Mortician. There's all these sort of they've become set celebrity death influencers or people who are, I guess, bringing the idea of what we do to the fore and to the media.
1: What are your thoughts on, on those? Well, you know, it's, it's not my cup of tea. We, we used to have a, a philosophy at our funeral home that we've ran a good funeral if nobody knows we're there. It just flows, it goes out. Bringing advice to a consumer is great. And I have nothing wrong with Caitlin Doherty or, or new, new ways of doing funerals, but if you do it and slam the other people who are good people and are you know, you know, my community in a town of 35,000 people, how I handle my community and our, our norms and mores are much different than the norms and mores of a city like New York City. And so if somebody would slam me for doing this in an improper way, well, that's the way it's done in our community. You know, so I think they used to say politics is a local business. I think funeral directing is a local business. And none of us know how that business really is somewhere else, unless we've been there.
0: 100%. I couldn't agree with you more, Tom, because as somebody coming from little old Ireland, but I lived in in Dublin, which is the city, even in Ireland itself, you know, a funeral in Dublin when I wrote my first book, a funeral in dublin costs vastly different to a funeral in galway and is treated differently you know in rural ireland we're still doing wakes in dublin the removal that's kind of the new wake has almost been removed because the financial cost of it and and i don't want to say it's just financial as in that it's the funeral homes it's not it's the people's time people don't have time anymore and i think covid unfortunately from what i've seen again now i'm in new york city and i know 100% The work I do, say, for example, at Frankie Campbell's is vastly different to if I was to work with, you know, your funeral home and and, and a funeral home in middle America. It's, It's massively different. But I think with Covid, what we've seen is that more and more people are going to choose things like direct cremation and having a memorial at a later time, because unfortunately, Funerals, ugh, this, this is going to sound awful, but sometimes they're an inconvenience sometimes. The world has gotten so fast and so time conscious that it's like, I don't have time to mourn. I don't have time to you know sit and worry about this or plan this. Um, and that breaks my heart because I think it's such an important ritual, the funeral service, whether you do it at immediate time or do it at a late
1: I, date. I agree with you. And I used to have a pastor used to have a pastor I worked with who said funerals should be inconvenient families Mm -hmm. should stop and recognize that this life has been lived and uh, I I agree with you and and COVID is not going to help things because we are getting used to doing something or not doing something and you know if it worked when grandpa died of COVID the funeral home just picked him up and cremated him and we went and got the ashes two weeks later we didn't have a visitation we didn't have the casket well the Consumers think, well, that worked for me. They may not necessarily know that they didn't get healing, you know, and it, it may move itself down. And, and I also worry about, I, I think permanent remembrance is incredible to have. I've, I've written a lot of stories about, you know, my dad died when I was a teenager. And he never got to meet my wife, never got to meet my kids, but his grave is probably less than two miles from where I'm sitting today and i go out there on his birthday and i go out there on father's day and i brought my boys out there and it's always a remembrance that that life was lived that person they did have a grandfather you know my children where when we have because there's this stone there it is when we take away that permanent remembrance i worry what's going to happen with with you know uh, who we are and where did we come from and, and things like that I I, I worry about that and, and COVID is not helping in that
0: uh, and again I, I completely agree with you Tom because um, for one um, I know myself from my own experience and, and don't laugh at me when I say this but uh, I even did my TED talk on it like when we lost our dog and I'm very lucky um, insofar as both my parents my brother we've you know we're all present and accounted for and it's grandparents and elderly and and unfortunately people who've been sick who i've lost i have lost young friends but um we lost our dog that we had for 16 years and when i say she was my best friend in the entire world you know she came all through my teenage years i told her everything she was the she's she's the it's probably a good thing she's gone because she took all the secrets with her Um, and the way things are invented these days they'd invent you know voices for dogs but um when she passed away one of the thing it actually was to me honestly tom it really identified how important a funeral is because when we had her put down on a friday i will never forget that weekend i was like a lost soul wandering through the house and i kept saying to mom why do like we were just crying the whole family we were just crying all weekend and i really realized a funeral it's, there's a blueprint. It's a, okay, what do I need to do next? Next. There's a task orientation of, I need to call the funeral director. I need to be present at this point. I need to have people around me. Even my friends contacted me and said, Jen we don't know what to do like do we send you a card do we send you flowers like we're so sad and we don't know what to do like do we just call up to your house and give you a hug which would have happened in a funeral setting there were just it really identified to me the ritual of that blueprint same thing happened when I lost my aunt last year and my grandmother 15 years ago both times I was living in America and couldn't make it home for the funeral i'm telling you now those are two people two losses in my life i've never gotten over i still get emotional Uh, and i go to the grave when i go home and i i cry and i i often wonder is it because i never got to physically move through the motions of a funeral and have my family around me and and start that healing process so i absolutely believe in it and even go so far as my cremation jewelry line If there was one thing that every single one of my families come back to me and and I do it for pets and I do it for humans, but every one of my clients have said that it's a little bit of them that they get to carry with them. It is a permanent remembrance of their person and with cremation, as we both know, a lot of people scatter it. And so there's no permanent resting place or if. know if you scatter in one particular place it can be a a a type of permanent resting place but to have that little piece of somebody that you can always go to and and not talk to i do i talk to the dead (laughs) i'm not gonna lie that's my way of dealing with
1: things and we all have different you know much like alkaline hydrolysis i think moving forward i think and there's a lot of different things out there you know the uh cremation jewelry lines or the thummies or the parting stones that they have now, the solidified remains. I think those type of things are gonna grow slowly but surely also because those of us who loved and lost, don't whether that's a grandpa, a grandma, a mom or dad, a husband, a wife, a child, don't wanna let go of that love. And I think you're exactly right that jewelry does take some of that uh, and allow you to carry it with you. I, I think those are, and, and I'm guessing that your jewelry line is probably doing pretty well and, and you're selling uh, a few trinkets here and there, huh?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, even to the point of, like, I live here in New York, you know, I can't carry a grave with me, but I can carry that with me. So it, it really does. If we, we just have to meet people. One of the things I'm always saying, doesn't matter what element of of this i'm doing is meet people where they're at and i guess that's one of the things for the funeral industry as a whole is to pause for a second and meet people where they're at what do they want nowadays what
1: has changed i was going to say getting back to mitford's book very briefly i think that was maybe one of her problems with funeral directors is we didn't meet people where they were at in the 1960s they came to us and said, grandpa died. And we just said, okay, you need a coffin. You need a funeral on Thursday. We need a vault. We need to bury him at this cemetery. We told them what they wanted. And that's not necessarily true. We need to listen, we need to listen. So, so Mitford had some elements correct.
0: Well, Tom, thank you so much. I know this, the delay has been slightly had us going back and forth, but thank you so much for for joining me. And I'd love to have you back on because I know there were a couple of things that I'd love to come back and and as your articles and stuff come out, so maybe we'll do another another one in a couple of months. But thank you so much. It was it was really good.
1: I'm happy to do it. I've, I've enjoyed it. I. I enjoy my little bit of celebrityism with funeral director daily and uh, thank you for reading it. Yeah,
0: No worries of course. And have you got any future plans for it or would you take it to blog for or to podcast form?
1: No, you like the writing. Well I've had people ask me for a blog uh, podcast and I, I have, you know, probably have an insight where I can get many of the national and international leaders in funeral service on. But we'll see where it goes we'll see where it goes i'm not a real technical guy it was hard for me just to learn how to type on the computer and get the words out there
0: well i i really think you should because you have an opportunity there you know you've got you've got the market um we're all we all like to hear what you have to say so i think it's definitely something uh, for sure to have a think about yeah for sure absolutely well thank you so much and yeah i'll be in touch soon well what do you think of tom i hope you liked him as much as i do and um, i think he's a really cool character he's definitely somebody who probes the industry and um, from the inside out uh his blog is super interesting so check it out in the links below and uh, stay tuned to next week we'll talk to you later ciao for now